Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Woo! This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and I have an amazing co-host today. Uh oh. Shelly Mazzanoble. Hi, Shelly. Oh, Shelley. hi. I think people are going to think you had a guest host. I know. <laughs> the way that you said that. <laughs> I like to create tension. Nope, just me, guys. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm excited you're here. And me too. I'm excited about our guest, Lexi McQueen. Me she too. She is an amazing dungeon master, storyteller, blending two of things Shelly and I really love, which is Dungeons and Dragons play with pop culture oh, references. Speaking my language. She's got great ideas for, for Bachelorette-themed D&D games, which is always a perennial topic on this podcast. Hello. Don't worry. It's not going to be like the whole topic of the interview. We just right. maybe we'll uh, touch on that. Because she's doing lots of stuff with Strixhaven uh, and, and really great ideas for how to make shit's creak a <laughs> D&D game. Yes. What would the... What would the the, uh, the cast be in that game? Hmm. Yes. Hmm. I'll let you ponder that. Uh, that is in our interview segment. Uh, but before that, we have an amazing chance to speak on about a, a monster that I did not know much about, the Danger Noodle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so let's so let's meet that monster <laughs> with our friend Mackenzie DeArmas on the D and D team. <laughs> Welcome to another segment of Meet Your Monsters. This is where we have a designer, and in this case, we have Mackenzie DeArmas. Hi, Mackenzie. Hello, hello. hello. Talking about a fantastic monster that they have a personal affinity to <laughs> and how to bring them to life. Mackenzie, I can't wait to talk about the Bahir. Yes. My lightning lizards, my baby boys. Here's <laughs> <laughs> the thing: like, like I, most kids had their dinosaur phase, and I had a dinosaur phase too when I was little. But then I had the sub phase of I really, really liked snakes. Mm-hmm. And the Bahir is just a massive lightning snake. And so I think anytime I see the Bahir, like little seven-year-old Mackenzie, deep inside me, gets really, really excited. It's got all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. A lightning snake, but with legs. It, it that's what it has twelve legs. It just sometimes decides, no, I want to go fast, and so I'll just pull my legs into my body and slither. See, Options. it's the best of both worlds. It's like alligator and snake together. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it also appears to have little T Rex arms. Yep. <laughs> kind of charming and cute. It's just. I love it. It looks so silly, but it's so terrifying if you look at its stat block. Hey, yeah. let's dig in a little about yes. this because, you know, we're kind of teasing him a little about his tiny little arms. But this is actually quite a terrifying creature. Yes. Um, so Behirs are, in general, these, uh, let me double check, they are huge creatures who um, essentially they're big lightning snake-like lizards. Um, they... Their most notable features are their lightning breath, which is very similar to like blue dragons, lightning breaths. Uh, but they also are able to constrict and swallow, which is where the that sort of con- 
boa constrictor like snake aspects come in which yeah. i always thought was incredibly way more terrifying and way more interesting than than your typical dragon because there is something so menacing about a creature on the battlefield just unhinging its jaw to swallow something whole and mm. while it's still alive and i've always found that especially because it has a basis in reality and i'm always of the mindset that monsters are the most terrifying when they have a basis in reality because it means it could actually exist uh and that's why i've always just loved the be here and i've loved messing with it it's appeared i think in almost every single campaign i've ever run a be here or a be here adjacent monster has shown up Ha! That's awesome because yeah, I, you know, I've played D&D for years. I don't think I've ever fought a Bahir or used them as a dungeon master. So um, what do you think are some ways to, to, to introduce this to your players if you've never, uh, you know, had the inclination to have uh, this Bahir attack them? So in like very <laughs> traditional uh, D&D lore, the Bahirs were made actually as the enemies of dragons. They were meant to serve the giants in like the the old Forgotten Realms uh, story of the dragons fighting the giants and that sort of eternal clash. So these are creatures that are meant to fight winged beasts, beasts that are meant to fly, beasts that are about their size or bigger. And I think there's a lot to play with because there are quite a few real life like snakes and other reptiles who are known to combat uh, these like massive flying creatures. Um, like there are like rattlesnakes who will be able to like snipe hawks or vice versa. Um, these, I think there is something so cool about having this massive sort of coiled serpent-like creature being able to just sort of launch up out of a, a very narrow hole in the ground and then just snatch like a massive rock or a massive dragon just right out of the sky in its jaws. That and I think really it's very cool. much like a if you're introducing characters to a new landscape, that's very much a good like almost background set piece. Like if you're if you remember in like the Star Wars movies when they're first on Tatooine and you see the uh, the skeleton of the crate dragon just sort of in the background, this has that same sort of immensity of scale and danger to it. Yeah, right. And it's a great way to even describe how hostile an environment might mm -hmm. be is is actually witnessing them mm -hmm. taking out a, a wyvern or a yep. small uh, or, or a flying creature and be yep. like, that could be you. Just, mm -hmm. just, no. I also think it's but, really cool because because they do uh they are they have that snake like creature, they their tracks are gonna be so weird because they're gonna they're gonna live like the little foot foot marks. And then all of a sudden, they're just the foot, the feet are going to disappear, and it's just going to be one long track going through the ground. And I think that's just slightly unnerving, being like, what monster did this? It had yeah. so many feet, and then it had no feet. <laughs> that's when uh, the Bahir was carrying you <laughs> on the sand. <laughs> Times of comfort. <laughs> that that's definitely the the sense I get from the Bahir's yep. comfort, yeah, yep. and, and supporting me. <laughs> and by and carrying my, you, I mean literally swallowing you and in, in uh, digesting you slowly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk about that this the swallowing um, yep. of of its foes. So if you were to be swallowed by a Bahir, you don't die. You would just Not suffer instantly. some. Not right away. So you yeah. could still fight your way out of it. Technically, you can. A character who is swallowed by the Bahir is mechanically blinded and restrained, which boils down to you have disadvantage on your attack rolls while you're in the Bahir's gullet, which kind of makes sense because you can't really move around yeah. while you're, you know, in a gullet. 
the other important thing to keep in mind when you are swallowed by a Bahir is that you keep taking uh, stomach acid damage oh, as you're being digested. Uh, which I, I always like that sort of, you know, on the start of a turn, something happens, uh, especially when you're dealing with like higher level characters, which a Bahir being CR11 is a foe that will go against higher level players. Um, that sort of off turn damage that you can't really stop unless you get out uh, adds this sort of tension to combat and heightens uh, what can often devolve into just sort of a, a hit, hit, smash, hit, hit, smash, roll, dice, hit, hit, uh, bags of hit points against bags of hit points sort of deal. Right, right. And then if, if the Bahir is able to swallow one of the mm-hmm. player characters, then it becomes like, how do we get them out? How do we get them out yep. as fast as possible? Yep, yep. Which does it's, create tension. It's like the graduated version of getting engulfed by a gelatinous cube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I am immediately brought to mind of uh, uh, the opening of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when mm-hmm. uh, Drax is inside the creature and yep. trying to, to get out. He's clearly restrained, so that's why he's, his attacks don't do very well from, from the yep. inside. Yep. It's, and it's also just such like a classic thing like with Guardians of the Galaxy and then with other very big fantasy properties of a character getting swallowed and then like busting their way out from the inside, which also has that really good cinematic quality if you're playing in a, in a game that leans more heavily into that sort of narrative cinematic almost showboaty kind of combat you yeah. can have that really awesome set piece of like the character busting out of the Bahir's gullet and they're they're immune to lightning but not thunder whoa so Ooh. I feel like you could use a thunder wave or a similar spell that emanates from you mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to do some damage and hopefully bust out and that's the thing. The the swallow has that uh, a built-in mechanic where if you do a certain amount of damage from within the gullet, you give it a very bad stomach ache, <laughs> and it and it regurgitates you. Which I always I've I've never had a character successfully do that, but I hope I live in hope for the day that a character will successfully be regurgitated out of a behir or another monster that has swallow, because it is something that is so funny to me. <laughs> So what do you mean? Do they usually, you haven't had them do that because they die in there or because they've been out a different way? They have, um, you have to deal a certain amount of damage in a turn and they haven't ever, any character I've swallowed has never hit that damage threshold. So they've been able to damage the here from the inside, but they haven't hit the 30 damage threshold in order to do the regurgitate or they have and the here has saved against the stomach ache. Oh. Because it's a save after that too, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. What what happens to to the character once they are regurgitated? Are they uh, do they, they lose a turn? Are they prone? No, they actually just like they just fall out prone and oh. you know, narratively covered in Bahir saliva, which I can imagine is probably not great. But right. What's interesting about these two is that they're intelligent. Uh, they yeah. they have a, a seven intelligence, which means they have speech um, and they yep. can reason i guess with the player characters how how would you run that ooh i always think of oh what's the what's the the, the big snake from the jungle book ka yeah. yeah that snake i always kind of um leaning more into that um serpentine aspect of of that kind of almost very like silky very very much like i have the high ground i can swallow any of you at any moment so make this worth my time 
sort of presentation. Um, it doesn't even have to necessarily be, you know, an, an evil creature. I always see them as, um, I always like writing them as very much neutral creatures who are very much driven by hunger. Um, they don't really hoard uh, like uh, their draconic foes, um, but they're not necessarily altruistic either. Uh, they're predators. I like they're they're predators. Yep. And I so I run them like I, I I run lots of snakes where they have that sort of calculating, cool but not cold personality, um, and that knowledge of the fact that they are on the top of the food chain at this moment, and you have to do quite a bit to make sure you don't end up being dinner. Yeah. Because they are pretty strong, and they've got yep. a very high strength, but also, yep. you know, almost 170 hit points on average yep. and a high armor class uh, with 17. Yep. So you're right, they're, they're fighting, if you're using the, the, the challenge rating here of 11, they're going to be fighting a uh, player that could probably take them out generally. But yeah, uh, they've, they've, they're, they're a significant threat to anybody, you mm-hmm. know, level, you know, below level 10. I also do really like the image, though, of taking a Bahir and then going the... Um, if you've ever seen like videos of pet snakes online or pet or, or, or uh, pet constrictors, because mm. uh, if you look at a boa constrictor's face, because they're not they're 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 not venomous snakes, they have the kind of like cat mouth. Um, so they have a very sweet, soft, uh, almost smile on their face. And I love the idea of a friendly danger noodle, but here that's just doing its best. It's like, you know, it has to eat. It has to be a predator. So it knows it can do that. But also, it kind of just wants wants a cuddle buddy. It just so happens that its cuddle is its constrict. And it will Aww. crush you. But I also love Danger Noodle be here. I, I, I love that angle as well. As much as I love, like, terrifying my players with these massive snakes, I also just... The, the 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 soft soft behir soft behir aesthetic, <laughs> right? And that goes with playing them neutral, right? You can play them as yeah. as you know potentially someone you could get on your side if you uh, were able to give them food or something like that. Yeah, especially, especially if, if, if you they... had a war of dragons, you could yeah. kind of enlist them to, to mm-hmm. help you. Yeah, I was so just imagining if they're like hibernating because they hibernate like snakes do. Just a very sleepy behir, a sleepy danger noodle. Sleep, sleepy, sleepy lightning noodle. <laughs> sleepy lightning noodle. Oh, now, now I want to meet one of them. They're I so hope, fun. I hope yeah. I do encounter up here. Well, I like that they also make their uh, layers in mm-hmm. caves and caverns yep. and, and and cliff sides, right? So it's something that mm-hmm. could be really stealthy too, where your yeah. your players are just going from one place, you know, point A to point B. Yeah. You just happen to come upon uh, a layer. Yep. I remember watching some of my friends play uh, a game where they were playing like woodland creatures and they were exploring this underground cavern. Then all of a sudden the cavern filled up because they realized too late that they were in the lair of a snake. And so they're walking through these very smooth tunnels and they're not entirely sure what's going on. And then all of a sudden the tunnel itself just fills up entirely with the body of the snake because the snake built that tunnel by burrowing through the earth. And I find that just the idea of you're walking through the space and all of a sudden you are locked in, not by stone, but by the creature whose home you've invaded Ugh. is 
that sort of, again, it has that feeling of you are in the Bahir's domain. The Bahir rules this space. Mm-hmm. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. And if you're in that tunnel, they have a lightning breath and a line. That yep. is yeah, exactly. perfectly made. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah. Nowhere to hide. That I also, I love the, I love the, the effects that lightning can have on its environment. Um, I remember one time when I did run a Bahir-like creature, uh, it was, the fight was on a beach. And so when it did its lightning breath, it left that, it left these brilliant streaks of like opalescent glass cool. that sort of shot up and froze the sand in place when the lightning breath sort of ran across the sand. Mm, uh, and I've cool. loved the structures that can come out of lightning and, and, and the way that they look. And I think that's also a really good environmental cue, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, that, yeah. you know, these lightning, uh, these prone to using lightning creatures exist in the space um, because those are such remarkably pretty um, landmarks. Like if you see lightning scars on trees or those glass shards coming out of the earth, uh, they're so striking, but they're also one of those things that aren't created through most normal means. And even a thunderstorm will often do that. So it has that same sense of alien and fantastical that gives players just the right hint that something very big and very dangerous lives here. Those are really you, strong. The visuals. visuals, yeah. Yep. Do you, so do uh, Behar's, do they hoard treasure to like a dragon? Are they not um, motivated not, by not particularly? Um, I think like if if they kill a dragon and move in, I don't think they make a habit of trying to get rid of all the dragon stuff. <laughs> but I don't think they go out of their way to hoard like a dragon's very traditionally have that sort of avarice to them. They uh honestly I just kind of see Bahirs, they're just sort of chilling. They 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 were they were used with the giants in the war, but now the war's over, so now they're just kind of like I mean. Well, the person who we, we killed the person who lived here. It's a nice cave. It's, it's nice. We can move in. And then they just sort of were like, well, we'll just we'll just wait here. Adventurers never now. come in and hang out in this cave. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or they're like adventurers do come. Yeah. And that's dinner. And it's just DoorDash for Bahirs. <laughs> <laughs> I love just that. Dinner idea. delivery. Oh, that's a cool idea. If there's like a storm giant or another giant that is not uh, good, can have a Bahir as a as a as a destination. Oh, go check out this cave, and then you yeah. end up, you know that's how he gets rid of uh, oh, people he doesn't idea. want. Or yeah. I really like this idea of when you're talking about exploring the cave and realizing that it's their lair. You could potentially, if it's hibernating with its mouth open, you could go inside of a Bahir without knowing that you were. <gasps> Ooh, oh, I love that. Oh my god! It really, really gives a whole new meaning to midnight snack. <laughs> yes. Now I want DoorDash to deliver food directly to my gullet. Now into Just, my mouth. <laughs> yeah. My one of my favorite encounters I've ever run was uh, it was a Bahir, and then uh, I think it was a Solar that I had reskinned or I'd, I'd fiddled around a little with with it to change it from being like a radiant focused creature to being more like an electricity metal focused kind of angel. And just the the fun of having this creature who can like fling metal around uh, with the accompaniment of a lightning creature made for some really awesome interactions on the battlefield. That is cool. Because mm-hmm. those conductors uh, can Oof. create some really uh, heat metal type of situations. Yep. Cool. 
Awesome. Well, great job, Mackenzie, because I feel like I know so much more about this creature and I want to try to run it in my game. I love my lightning danger noodles and I support them wholeheartedly. (laughs) You've done a wonderful job promoting them and selling them to us. We are in. We will take two. And I am also going to petition uh, Mr. Jeremy Crawford to change the name of this monster to Lightning Danger Noodle. Lightning Danger Noodles. Lightning Danger Linguini. (laughs) With sometimes having flailing Kermit arms. uh, um, That's been really fun, too. I love it. I can see the line of plushies now. Oh, my God. I would would do so much for a a plushie. I would love to snuggle. Oh, Adventures of Lightning Danger Noodles. Like like the Paw Patrol, but it's just the hairs. Or like a scarf, like a Bahir scarf. Like, you know, like those crocheted, uh, like people can make those crocheted like snake or lizard uh, scarves. Can you just imagine like a Bahir scarf with like little, the little legs just sort of sticking out? Mm. So adorable. it's both warm and frightening at the same time. What yeah. I aspire to be. <laughs> and when you're just done, you can just pull its little mouth just over your head. And yes. Just be swallowed. <laughs> And I, oh, it is a hoodie, right? You make it. Right. Okay, oh, this is amazing. So all right, well, apparently. all the plushy and apparel <laughs> makers who are listening to this, make it so. Please. Thanks so much, Mackenzie. How can people find out more about uh, Lightning Danger Noodles? Um, well, if you want to hear about my personal experiences throwing very many Lightning Danger Noodles and other Danger Noodle adjacent creatures, uh, you can follow me over on Twitter at Mackenzie Lane DA. That's M-A-K-E-N-Z-I-E-L-A-N-E-D-A, uh, where I talk very much about my personal D&D games uh, and the monster babies I help create for this game because I love all my monsters, even if they do uh, end up being very horrifying creatures in the end. Um, I'm also just sort of, if you follow my Twitter, that's also where you'll keep track of all the other places I'm appearing around on the internet and maybe even in the reality meet space. Uh, so that's, that's real exciting. That is really exciting. Yeah. One day, that reality meat space will will have danger noodles. I mean, it does. Those are just regular snakes. It just needs to have lightning breathing danger noodles. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yep. With arms. Thank you so much for having me. This was Thank awesome. You. Thanks, McKenzie. Always fun. I love that segment so much because we get to find out about people's passions I, around these monsters, these adversaries for our D&D characters that I didn't know much about. So that's super cool. And I could just listen to Mackenzie talk about monsters all day, every day. Um, she can really, she can, she really sold me on the danger noodle. Yeah, I know, right? Just brought yeah. it to life. Totally. Uh, adorable. Love, 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 love her enthusiasm and passion. Right. The best. The uh, best. And- we're going to highlight even more enthusiasm and passion in our interview segment here with Lexi McQueen. So let's 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 get her on the horn. Everyone, let's welcome Lexi McQueen to Dragon Talk. Yeah! Hey! Woohoo! I yes. cheered for myself, but <laughs> as well you should. As well were, you should. You were playing the NPC uh, crowd, live studio audience that we have. <laughs> It's true. I can't help it. DMs can't stop. You know, it never turns off. Right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, so, Lexi, you are a uh, amazing dungeon master who, I, I will say your talent seems to be 
picking pop culture uh, things that are in the zeitgeist and turning them into D&D campaigns and one-shots. Oh, yeah. It's it's super fun. That's like one of the things that I really specialize in. Mm, you had me at pop culture. Oh. <laughs> We need it. We need we need like the Shit's Creek D and D. We need the like I, I've been trying to figure out like all of the Bachelor stuff, all of the Total Drama Island. I listen to the show. I know. I know. I I know you're a Bachelor. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure it out for ages. It's so perfect because the tropes are already built into it. Yeah. Yep. And yep. like we already know, there's already the villain. You already have a motivation to go after these villain types. There's like a reward if you want to mm-hmm. call them that. But um, it is, it's already, it's so rife for the picking. Have you ever, have you really thought about like how to make a, a D&D inspired bachelor? Yeah. Like, so when it comes to the bachelor, survivor, like any of these start with 15 or 23 and like call down kind of shows I've been trying to figure out the best way to go about it um and it's so hard because there's this I get that I have this feeling where I'm like I don't want to disappoint anyone like I watch those shows and like when I see my favorite character get kicked off I'm, I'm like why like they were such a great person or blah 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 and it's like I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings by like taking a character they really wanted to see make it all the way through and kicking them off but like it's such a great feeling to like have competition in D and D outside of just like like all of a sudden D and D has a win condition. I know, and it's could just you would you run it as like the player characters are only cast members, or could you run it as like they are the family? They're the you know they're supporting one person's journey throughout it. So that way, or would you have it be the villain? is someone like me who just doesn't like this type of reality television and where you have to gang up and, and, and beat up that person? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I would either have it be like that. Um, something that I've thought about, there's this show, like this cartoon that I grew up watching that is absolutely terrible, but it's like same exact idea, Total Drama Island. And it's just <laughs> cartoon, Canadian cartoon. And it's like these teens all show up to an island and have to complete challenges every single week in teams, two separate teams. Um, all together they have to collaborate and then whoever team whoever's team wins gets immunity the other team votes someone off and Mm. so I've been thinking about like what if you have two separate GMs and you run it like they each need to do their own task and then the crowd votes weekly on like who did best and then the team votes on who they're letting go Um, so I think it would be like a singular walkthrough situation like linear storytelling wise but I think it'd be so much fun to have the family actually like everyone who's part of the cast is supporting or going against one person's wishes and how good are you able to accomplish that I think I that uh in the new critical role call of the nether deep book the rival Mm -hmm. in there there's like some mechanics that maybe could come into play with this um Rivals, yeah. Now that's immediately what I thought too. Of like, oh yeah, yeah, set up like there's these two competing, you know, because there is a little bit of team. Maybe I'm thinking more of Survivor, but there is a little bit yeah, of like alliances going exactly. back and forth, mm-hmm. you yep. know. And so you could kind of mo- model that on a Bachelor type thing. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it's it is cool to think about, um, you know, in I always say 
in real life D and D, which doesn't really go together, but in theory, if you were an adventuring party, then of course there would there would be other people probably out for the same quest that you're out for, people that you would meet along the way that could potentially provide an obstacle. So yeah, I could have, you there would be some competition maybe to get to the prize. Um, but I I kind of I kind of like that idea in there. Also, yeah. like a show like Big Brother or The Mole or something where there's like just constant like secret alliances being formed and people just lying to your face, like playing diplomacy, <laughs> which still oh, gives yeah. me nightmares. But something <laughs> like like that could be fun to work in as well. Super fun. I think that like the rivals, um, Strixhaven does something similar with rivals and lovers and friends and things like that. And you can get boons from specific NPCs if you're a rival or a lover with them. Um, I think that that would be so perfect. Just like have all of these people and each of them decide like, you know, I think that that's like an extra game mechanic almost. Like take that rivals lovers thing and then just work that into the game where every single time you create that secret little alliance, go ahead and just mark uh, mark towards friends or mark towards allies on your character sheet for this one specific person. Um, yeah. And then the most important part, which is the cutaway to each person, like in the group, they're all saying like, oh, I love this person. I love this character. And then you immediately cut to them being like, I hate that person. <laughs> yep. I'm only working with them to get what I want. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and you have uh, some skill and experience at taking stuff that is in uh, the source books that we put out there, like Strixhaven, and adapting it. So I think that, uh, you know, the Strix that you've been putting together for the, uh, you know, a a university setting, uh, talk a little bit about that because that sounds really exciting. Oh, yeah. It's been so much fun to go through Strixhaven. Um, So I'm a Magic the Gathering player as well, and so I have literally two commanders based on like the Prismari commander and I have the Quandrix commander. And I just like loved that concept and loved the story of it and loved the thematic symbols that they have um, all in the cards. And then when they said that they were releasing the book along with it, I just lost my mind a little bit because I think that it's such an amazing way to go about doing a magical college. Mm. Um, So my initial idea was, obviously, uh, I am a Black DM. I was like, how can I do this in a way that, like, feels inclusive? And, like, what's good about the books is that they come and you see all the art in it and there's so much inclusive art. It doesn't feel like you're, you know, walking into a a normal, regular college. It feels like you're going to encounter all different races, all different, like, classes, there's no limitations. Um, so I've just been really taking that and running and like going, you know, okay, what if an all black cast had to just like fully show up at an HBCU and it was a magical HBCU, right? And take that experience and blow it up to magical proportion proportions. Um, Strixhaven is probably the perfect book to do that with because it is so specific and set up in such a way that I can like, it's not an entire world, it's Strixhaven. And I can just take different parts of it and be like, oh, that absolutely works. Um, This lesson that they learn is perfect. How can I enforce that another way in order to get them to the same place? It's like such an amazing adventure. It's been a wild ride. 
Nice. Yeah. So what uh, what were some of those things that you uh, you know used as a jumping off point, right? So like you, yeah. That, I love that being able. This is one of the things that we loved about about you know talking about Strixhaven was that like, look, it's the whole adventure. You can play it uh, full cloth in the Magic: The Gathering universe, but it's rife for mechanics and events and characters and uh, maps that you can use to 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 make it your own. And I just love to hear about how you did that. How, what were some of the things that you put your specific spin on. Oh yeah, definitely. The first thing I started with was the schools. I love that they're the balance of two opposing forces. So I immediately went into that and thought about like, what are traditional college activities? And I was like, how does this fit in? Um, And one of the first things me and the group that I'm like running it for came up with was like, we got to have like a Prismari step team. Like that would be amazing to have an elemental step team that just like with every single performance, there's just fire, water, just all different kinds of magic swirling around you as this, like an already almost spiritual experience (laughs) enhanced by Prismari. Um, Like I just started with schools and started with my college experience and also reached out to my players and we're like, what were your favorite aspects of college? If you went, like, what what was your favorite thing? What is your favorite thing now that you're out of it? Um, and just started interweaving into the schools. Like, where does a LARP group, which already exists in Strixhaven, but where do yeah. they really, like, where are they actually going to meet? And, like, if there's a LARP group, then there probably needs to be other groups as well, like a video game group, which doesn't exist because it's fantasy, but... Quandrix is math and fractals. I'm sure they could make images and competitive, like, even if it's not like Mario or anything, just competitive games where it's like bouncing a fractal around a screen and you're using your magic like Pong or something like that. Ah, that's, oh, that's awesome. Cool. <laughs> I've just been like taking the schools and running with whatever clubs and experiences that I or my players have. That is that's- so fun. And I one of the things I love about Strixhaven is all is the relationship rules, mm-hmm. and you know, like as you're playing, your you and your party, you tend to form those relationships in game anyway. Is there, were you did you notice that relationships were forming in different ways because of just the environment of being set in a university and like we're playing students? Yeah, so we haven't run the full game yet. We're recording it um, it's in the process right now, but. Immediately, I threw I threw everyone into a group chat, and automatically they were like, "Um, romance?" Question mark. <laughs> and obviously, minds <laughs> unveiled it. But like, I was like sitting back. I'm just like sending the looking eyes emojis, like, "Do as you will." <laughs> like, yeah. it's encouraged. That's right. important. I'm I'm recently watching uh, the Sex Lives of College Girls, mm-hmm. uh, and it is uh, yeah, it would uh, brought me back to those times, and I was like, oh man, that what a great way to, and I'm, that's why I'm glad that we set Strixhaven in a young adult, you know, not young adult, but a uh, teenage, you know, eighteen plus uh, situation, so that it, you could you could explore all those themes. Oh yeah, the college thing really, really changes the vibe. I think a lot. Um, I don't know. I prefer the college, magical college to a magical like high school or even like, I don't know, just anything below that, just because there's so much more you can explore. And honestly, when I was in college, I was going through stuff and didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. And like D&D has this like 
cathartic experience to it that like, yeah, we bring catharsis to our everyday adult lives by playing as characters that we aren't and resolving issues that we might not be able to in real life. But like, I love that I can go back and put these issues in front of the players that are college specific, college aged issues. And we can work through that stuff together too. Um, and have it still be hard and challenging the same way a normal um, D&D game in the Forgotten Realms would be. But I, I just love that college age range right there. Yeah. And you're right. There is a lot of things you go through. Like it's, you know, they always talk about teenage years and high school as like the transformative years, but it's really college where you're on your own for the first time. You have a little bit of a safety net and that, you know, most of us started in a dorm. So at least there's that and there's food and shelter provided for you. But other than that, it's you're on your own. And uh, I, was just, I was just talking to my, my daughters who are uh, 10 and 8 and they were asking about college. Uh, and uh, I was like, I didn't really have a lot of friends early on. Actually, I did shows. I was in theater, so I did that and I had, I had that network. But at, when I was in my dorm, I was, I was playing video games by myself for a good, you know, three semesters, four semesters before I really opened up into, uh, you, know, bl- you know, blossoming and having like, oh, different friend groups that did different things, right? And so that's really fun to try and explore, right? Like there are people who become the recluses and then great new friends. Uh, and it's hard for some folks who don't immediately latch on. But once you do latch on to people, you have friends for life. Like being candy. able to do that in a fantasy setting, like that's so fun. I wonder, Greg, if you were playing in a Strixhaven campaign, if you would play like a very social, outgoing like character or some, or would you just be like, no, I'm going to go to the Fractals Club and <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play Pong with my magic. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, you know, it's, it's like how people are with creating any D&D character. Do you tend to gravitate towards ones that are similar to you, that embody traits you already have, or do you deliberately tried to make something completely different than you are. Yeah. What's, what's your know. experience been there, Lexi? Have you found that your players uh, play this themselves or, or do they go in directions you didn't expect? It's turning out that people are playing themselves, like enhanced themselves, mm-hmm. um, which is very interesting to me because I think that I personally would go the exact opposite way. Like, I I think that a lot of it has to do with the colleges. Like, mm. people are playing themselves but exemplified because these fantastical colleges and, like, the schools that you can go into um, take the parts of their characteristics that they, like, wanted to amplify and they, like, just blow them up like big time. So if you were the charismatic theater person and you had all the friends, but you felt a little lonely when you went back to your dorm or whatever, then you've got a college that kind of plays into that. Um, Or if you were the book smart, uh, like very book smart, always acing every test, um, but didn't really make any friends. You've got multiple of those schools that will like, immediately take that personality and blow it up. So I feel like people are playing more into themselves um, probably because of their personal experiences. Um, But there are a few players, there's about two players who are playing like the opposites of themselves or like what they wish their college experience was like, which is always super, super interesting, which is what I would probably do that. It's just just like Mm U-turn. Nope. We're going to do something cool and fun. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I think I would be there too. Like I was so excited about like I can have a job and all these clubs I can join. And like, in real college, I didn't want either of those things. Mm. No. <laughs> Oh, but in D&D, I'm like, yes, I would like to work for the registrar, please. In real life, I'm like, how dare you make me work? I don't want to lift a finger. I just want to run D&D. And then in Strixhaven, like if I got to play in a Strixhaven game, I'd be like, I work at the bar. I work at the cafe as well. Um, And I hate the LARPers. They're annoying. (laughs) (laughs) What is this campus coming to? Someone save me. I'm surrounded by idiots. Like, that would be me. Yeah. Um, this is funny too. how strict saving works. It is. It's really, it's very, I was very excited about that book. Still, okay. still am. So you're going to be streaming uh, this, this campaign, right? The Strix? Oh, yeah. Super excited about that. We're doing like a three to four episode uh, part one to introduce the players. Um, they... Do not fully know this yet, uh, but we're running the. I know. It's all like, right. If, if you're in this campaign, turn the volume down right now. Mouse. I trust all of you. <laughs> don't make me regret it. Um, but no, so I really love the intro adventure, the level one to four adventure where they um, do the scavenger hunt. I, I love the scavenger hunt, the exams, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but we're going to be focusing, and they, this part they do know, we're kind of starting off in the Strixhaven land for the first four episodes, and then we're doing like limited 10-episode series of them 10 years in the future, dealing oh, with cool. the oh. choices that they made at Strixhaven. So that's like, yeah, <laughs> that's like something I'm fully like, and it's it's so hard to think like, how am I going to get a sophomore college experience or freshman college year experience in four sessions? Mm. Um, but that opening scavenger hunt is so good for like putting little plot points and like foreshadowing things. It's so, so good. And I feel like a lot of people are running it and I'm like, use it, use it. It's so good for little tiny clues. And I don't know, especially if they split up. Oh, it's over. <laughs> so <laughs> never split I'm, the party. Yeah. So I'm taking that riffing off of it, doing something a little different, but keeping to it in order to start this like intro session to Strixhaven and to who they are as college students. Um, like and that. then after that, yep, 10 episodes of just pure chaos. <laughs> I like how it's, it reminds me of It a little bit, right? That idea mm-hmm. that like we defeated this evil or did something when we were young and bonded us together. Fast forward 10 years, you see where these people ended up. You know, yeah. were they friends? Were they not friends? Why weren't they friends that entire time? Uh, that's such a fascinating thing to explore, especially in a stream game, right? Which mm-hmm. is all about character and role play and how the characters will interact with each other. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Stream games are, like, so good for... I I think everyone right now is talking about the difference between stream games and just at-home games. But I think that the reason that I trust the story to be told in four episodes is because I know that like when you have a stream game, people are more leaning towards it being a performance and therefore they're more, they're less amped about going and exploring every single detail about the world and like, who's the tailor? And like, why does their son not go to Strixhaven if they live near Strixhaven? Like, you know, that kind of Mm. thing. They're way less excited about that stuff and way more excited about like their personalities and letting that shine and like making these interpersonal relationships that I can therefore use against them in the future. Uh, 
Uh-huh. I see what kind of DM you are. <laughs> I Listen, see it. I love my players so much. I They are not my enemy. I am not theirs. Uh, my world just wants them in the ground. And I'm <laughs> not going to, I, you know, I'm a big enough fan of them that I'm not trying to let it have that, but... I don't know. You it's gotta be dice. evil. It's not time. you. It's yeah. the dice. It's the story. It's the right? story. Yeah. You know? Mm. I hear that. Well, and I think that, you know, goes to something that uh, I know you're kind of passionate about, which is this idea of like where D&D was, like how it was played in the, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, even, you know, just 10 years ago mm-hmm. uh, to now, which is building a lot of this uh, character-based stuff so that it becomes more akin to a episode of television than a this is a you know long slog fantasy novel that we're all playing in uh that our campaigns last 14 years and you know have tons <laughs> of uh right like that's that's less of the format that i think people gravitate towards now and people really enjoy having you know two to three hour compact experience that has ups and downs um but that moves the story along much like a you know like the the, the golden age of television that we're watching now yeah i think that that's something that I talk about a lot um, in my like inner circles. I'm a big philosophizer. Mm. Uh, so I haven't really, I've played in a couple of games and I've been in a couple of one shots, but I haven't really put out actual play content yet because a lot of my job, I've made my job watching the space and seeing the best way to do what my favorite shows and podcasts do um, while not having the same budget as my favorite shows and podcasts. Um, and so I talk a lot about the theory of an actual play and what actually makes it different and like what the experience should be like both for the DM, for the players, for the viewers, the watchers, because a lot of the same people that will sit down, it's like you'll sit down and watch a, you know, uh, critical role for like four or five hours these same exact people will go and watch an episode of anime that's like 13 minutes 20 minutes right and get through an entire season in a night mm-hmm. and so like so my focus has been how do you keep that same entertainment level when you're right in between four hours and like 18 minutes right <laughs> like i gotta do three hours of content how do i keep that how do i keep people fascinating yeah (laughs) yeah right how do you (laughs) it's a lot it's 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 a lot of post-production which i don't think a lot of people think about but it's a lot of post-production it's a lot of communication between cast um and dm and also watchers and fans and i think a lot of shows have that on lock have that side on lock but i've been watching a lot of shows and i think one piece of information that has stuck with me. I have like a filmmaking background. I wrote a lot of short films growing up and wrote a lot of just TV shows, whatever I could think of um, growing up. And screenwriting is something that I'm super passionate about. But like something that stuck with me, um, I was watching someone give a talk and they were talking about uh, everyone is just looking for a reason to look away. Like that's everyone's just watching for a reason to look away. And if you give people a strong enough reason not to look away, then you're doing a good job. And I think D&D has that already mm. ingrained into it, which is so nice. We don't have to work super hard. Um, but yeah, I think I just think a lot about like where the future is with it and how do we keep it, you know? 
there's a lot of blending of genres too, and by genres, maybe I'm that's the wrong word. Uh, mediums, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's a discourse going on right now on Twitter about uh, play rights infecting TV mm-hmm. uh, writing. Have you been following that? Just a little bit. I I can't keep my finger on it, but yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, but there was one thread uh, from a writer who specifically was like, I was a you know a trained uh, playwright. I did you know that whole thing. I moved to LA because I needed to make money, uh, and I got in my first room, and it was kind of you know completely not knowing what it was going to be like. And the first assignment that they had was to you know write I think three scenes or something like that, and he, he wrote it as a play. Like he was very slow. It got you know, and the major note was. You can't do that. Like you got you you, you need the, the minutes on screen are so valuable mm-hmm. that you need to get to what is happening and what is the crux and what is the 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 tension of whatever scene you're writing right away. And I think mm-hmm. that's really uh, I, I thought about that so much because it's an important lesson for dungeon masters too, where you can just have sessions that go nowhere. Really, I mean, you might have a fight, you might do something, but was it what does it really do to move? the story of these characters forward. And so I think there is lessons that you can learn from cinema, from TV, from the pop culture stuff that we've been talking about and and, and kind of infuse it into your storytelling at the table. Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot to be learned from, like, TV and movies. Like, uh, one of my favorite professors is, like, he always talks about how movies are so, like, like they're a spiritual experience. A movie theater is a temple and you're walking in to watch a movie where no one else can reach you. And you see these actors on screen while they're somewhere else doing something else completely. And I'm like, that is D and D D and D is like a temp. Like you and your friends are walking in to tell a story and something that I will say, I think five E is such a great addition for this because like I was even just, I did some dabbling in other editions, just reading through. And I love that five E is so focused on, the D&D listening to the players and the storytelling that's happening at the table over just make sure a fight happens. Make sure that uh, your rogue does all of their sneak attack damage and this is how many dice you use for it. It's like they're specifically written in clauses that say, have fun. <laughs> Tell yeah. a story that your friends like. Uh, right. Don't and worry sure about the rules. Exactly. And that's yeah. that's so dope that we get to just live and do a game that is so uh, immersive for us. I yeah. yeah, the immersion is super cool. Like like you were both saying, you can take your a lot of cues from how uh, TV shows. Like in Greg and I, have, we've talked to a lot of showrunners here on Dragon Talk and writers mm-hmm. that work for TV, and the the way that things are scripted now is different than how it was 10 years ago. Like before you had Netflix and before content was designed to be consumed immediately, you know, like you were supposed, the way that they would leave an episode when you had to wait a week, remember those days to, (laughs) to see what happens um, as opposed to like when they know, like you're probably just going right to the next episode, which I think Mm -hmm. is we've, we've noticed many similarities between that and how dungeon masters plan their campaigns, but also like, We've got things like Siren, um, Sirenscape that, you know, offers like all of sound effects and Im- all of these immersion tactics. As You're a musician as well. So you also score campaigns or add a little music to the games every once in a while. And that, I mean, that can do a wonders for, for the yeah. mood and for the tone of the game with your players. Oh, yeah. How do you use those things in your game? 
Um, well, I tend to use a lot of music. I do. Uh, I'm a s- score fiend, so I constantly listening to like any movie. You and Ryan would have so much fun talking. <laughs> our, our Ryan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like. I really feel like like what I do if I'm watching a movie that's scary or a movie that's like. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. Just something that could scare me. I will like immediately detach myself from the moment and be like, the music is so good right now. Like, wow, how are <laughs> I'm they feeling things? Like, there's a drone underneath. What's going on with that? Like, I just will do that and take a second to, you know, listen. But I love movie scores and I love the tones that they can set. Um, and when they're detached from the movies, it's even better. Like fully, I was running a Feywild adventure um, for my home game, which is like a modern day Washington, like enchanted forest in Washington and it's humans mixed with Humblewood races. And so I was like, of course there's a Feywild here. It's an enchanted forest. (laughs) Got to the Feywild. There's a track from Finding Nemo (laughs) that I played for literally four hours. It completely messed up my Spotify wrapped, but (laughs) I played it for four hours straight. and. It like when the music stopped, my players were like, Whew, was that playing the entire time? And I was like, mm-hmm, yep. Just I I don't know what to tell you. It was, and they were like, what was that? I was like, finding Nemo. <laughs> like <laughs> what what part of finding Nemo was it? Was it like a tense fight kind of thing or a chase? No, it, it's um the they're swimming underwater and they're about to get to the sharks. Mm. And it's just this very low kind of moving. It feels like, like, uh, what are they called? The sea, I don't even, yeah, kelp. It feels like kelp. It feels like just the ocean, very still moving, but there's like a hint of intrigue to it. And I was like playing it. Um, So I use a lot of scores. Uh, That's so interesting. How like, were you watching Finding Nemo? I'm just like, oh, this music, like this would make a great accompaniment to something in D D or like yes. how did it even how did you even associate the two like i go through and i listen to scores for almost every movie i watch but okay. also my best friend will listen to like the pixar and disney soundtracks but also the carnival and fairground sounds just like for some reason they're on youtube and so randomly i'll hear a theme that she's playing and i'm like where, where does, what does that come from? Like, I need to know right now. And it's <laughs> usually just like a lullaby version of like some theme from a movie, whether it's like Pirates of the Caribbean, like any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually I'll just pick it out. Um, but normally I'll just be sitting there and I think about like, I'll detach myself from the moment and listen and be like, whoa, this sounds like really eerie or this is actually really happy for this scene that's really sad. I can use that. Um, and then I'll go listen to the score and decide whether or not I'm going to drop it into, like, I have a huge playlist of, like, thousands of songs now, probably, where I just pick through and click on one, and I'm like, yep, this is it. That's so, so I want to go back to something you said about post-production mm-hmm. uh, and how much you use it here. Like, do you find moments that you're playing it live and it doesn't work, and you're like, well, I'm just going to change up the score and see if when you do it in posts, that it matches closer to what actually happened? So far, I have not been able to release, like, AP content live yet, but I do stream, like, games and, like, when I'm working on D&D stuff, and I will choose music then, and if I'm, like, 
Mm-mm. this isn't fitting anymore. I will immediately go change it. I'm like, Hey, everyone, give me a second. It's wrong it, vibe. Yep. Yeah. Cause it just fully, I'm like, this is too electronic and I'm writing for the Feywild. Like we got to switch it up. That kind <laughs> of, that kind of idea. But even now I have my Bob's Burgers show coming out and instead of using like music that's already been made, that is free to use, I'm just scoring it because I'm like, I have specific vibes that I want for certain sections, even in the middle of combat. I'm like, this is going to change a little bit. So I might as well just change up how it sounds by doing it myself and like writing a little theme and then mutating it over time to be sad and happy and whatever I can. Um, I know. So I, I love how D and D can inspire so many other part, you know, uh, um, creative endeavors that are Mm -hmm. supporting it, right? Like, I love, you know, hearing about the, you know, visual artists who draw during games and show those off. I love that you're like, well, you know, I pick and choose from different soundtracks, but screw it. I'm just going to make my own soundtrack for this specific thing to get that feeling out. And I love that. It's so at the heart of why this game is so interesting and latches on so many different people from so many different backgrounds is because, you know, you can it's an excuse to make stuff. <laughs> yeah, you can put yourself fully into it. I will say the the funniest thing about me using music and all of my players can vouch for this. Um, for my home games, I usually do a theme song. Like we have a theme slash montage oh, song. Nice. Hmm. Um, and it's like the song, like, and it adds a little bit of a cinematic flair to it. It's like, oh, you guys have to suit up before going to war. Well, uh, let me just throw on your montage song and describe you putting on all of your armor and getting your magic That's weapons great. and like do and it's so funny because as serious as it sounds, I let them choose what the montage song is going to be, and it's it's so bad. We had <laughs> Let's Groove tonight. Ooh, yeah. We've had Party Rock Anthem, also good. Which is I mean for like getting up, gearing up. Yeah, I'm. It's really good, but there was one time we had a combat where the players like had to flee by being carried by these gigantic owls, um, Lord of the Rings style, and just like had to be carried off and they're bleeding and the, the village that they left was on fire and they're like, play the montage song. And so it's like literally party rock anthem in the middle of them like flying away from ruin. So <laughs> I love a good montage I don't know. Song. I do. Oh, yeah. I don't know why they choose what they do. And they're the ones that are like, play the montage song. I let them dictate when it comes on. It pumps uh, them up. I can't but. wait for for people to play in the uh, the Call of the Nether Deep uh, campaign <laughs> with Baby Shark playing. Ah. Song. <laughs> <laughs> if someone doesn't make that happen, I'm going to cry. So. <laughs> I like the idea of players having like their walk-up song as well. Like, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I mm-hmm. like to fancy myself having a theme song. I, I never quite know what my theme song would be. I'm sure it changes, but. It's yeah. got to be a Hall and Oates song. Man Eater? <laughs> Man Eater. <laughs> <laughs> Love yeah. that. <laughs> could be, yeah. I don't know. For your elf, of course. Yes, very appropriate for my elf. <laughs> uh, so talk a little bit about this Bob's Burger uh, game. This sounds really fascinating. I, I, I will admit, I'm not a, I haven't watched a bunch of that show, but I know it's been around and, and people are super into it. So how, how, do you, how do you turn that into a D&D game? Oh, yeah. So this has been an interesting process of like really just taking the characters. I had an adventure that I wanted to run that is like completely separate from Bob's Burgers, but I just love the idea of like, in the middle of this fantasy world, this mediocre dude just like 
owning a restaurant and it not being very good, right? (laughs) Like everyone has taverns in their world or they have some sort of way to get food. And we all kind of imply like players will roll and be like, is the food actually good? You know? And it's like, I want to be able to tell my players the food is exactly mediocre. Like it's (laughs) perfectly all right. Um, And I really, I watch a lot of Bob's Burgers. um, So the characters come very easy to me and the accent of like Linda, like comes very easy to me. So I was like, oh wait. And it was very much like Schitt's Creek where I was watching an episode and I was like, this episodic feel where it kind of surrounds the restaurant, but they go outside of the restaurant to do what they need to do. And at the end of the day, they come back to it. Yeah. Like that feels very D and D like, mm. so it's a, it's an adventure um, with some really cool monsters in it. Um, and it very much centers around these four players who work at this restaurant with Bob and Linda, like a character who is Bob and a character who's Linda. And two of them are like Bob and Linda's kids. And then the other two are just like adventurers that were level, literally level, level 12, but they're the person that gave them their missions. were like, um, I need you to hold off for a second while we figure stuff out where we are settle down somewhere until we can find you. Don't make a ruckus. And so they landed in the city and got a job at Bob's Bears. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's fascinating. It reminds oh, me yeah. of almost like Cheers yep. too, like that idea of there just being a workplace sitcom uh, type of thing with people from very different backgrounds uh, oh, getting yeah. together and laying low or yeah. just being alcoholics, depending exactly. on how it goes. <laughs> Something about adventurous being in the restaurant business is so appealing. Yeah, <laughs> hospitality. Yeah. You need it. Oh, yeah. I lo- it's in the Forgotten Realms, right? That's what the... Uh, um, Yawning Portal is basically uh, designed around, right? It was like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to retire. <laughs> yeah, retired adventurers. What I I like the the pop culture tie-ins because, for well, for two reasons: one as a DM, one as a player. Now I like, fancy myself a budding dungeon master, uh, and yeah. somebody who lacks complete confidence in their role as a dungeon master. I feel like having a pop cult, like something, a world that I am very familiar in. Like if you said, here's mm-hmm. a Bachelor-themed adventure, run it, I would probably have more confidence doing that than like any other type of published adventure that I had months to study, only because I feel like yeah. I'm an expert in this world. So my confidence mm-hmm. in this world will carry me through. I, I feel like I can do that. Yeah, it's another one of those things where that's where – filmmaking and like screenwriting has informed a lot of my D&D because I think the power of metaphor is so strong and like the, being able to take an and the power of analogy as well being able to take something that everyone already yeah. knows like those tropes that are in The Bachelor the tropes that are in Bob's Burgers or like even specific character types um, and just saying well I've seen them interact in how many seasons of episodes I know that feeling I know how it feels when the person who's like snooty goes and talks to like a character who is just like completely uninterested because I watch this show a lot like I'm gonna use that reference and the thing is is like everyone watching and not even just watching because that I mean applies to stream games but even just playing we all know those tropes they're tried and true so it's like it's a soft place to land for both the dungeon master and a player to not have to be like, what new kind of person is yeah. this that I have to learn? And like, 
understand how they would speak and what their demeanor is towards heroes. It's like, no, I'm just going to take like Alexis from Schitt's Creek and be like, I know how she feels about everyone except for herself. (laughs) And like, especially if you have money. Um, And I know how she feels in nervous situations because I watched Mm -hmm. the show. Um, You know her little mannerisms. Make an NPC. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I know how she says everyone's names. Let me just go ahead and take that, drop that into a D&D game. Everyone automatically, even if they've never seen Shit's Creek, we know someone yeah. like that, right? We've seen someone like that. We can pull and reference that. And that's such a comfortable place to start from as a DM without it being uncreative as well. Like, you're not stealing someone else's NPC the same way you would be if you were like reading from a campaign book and just being like, I'm going to read exactly what they tell me to read. It's like, no, I have mannerisms. I have characteristics. Yep. I still get to do my own voices. Like I'm it's just as creative as everyone else. by. Yeah. yeah. And it's great. I think for new players too, especially I mean, players who don't think of themselves as the typical fantasy lover that I, I, I don't mm-hmm. think you have to love fantasy to love D and D. I say that to all of my friends yep. that have definitely, resisted my attempts to lure them in. I don't like fantasy. I'm going to go back to watching Lord of the Rings. Like, okay, whatever, whatever. (laughs) That aside. But if you say like, hey, like we're going to play through like a Bob's Burger inspired something that they're already into and have that familiarity, I feel like that's just an easier sell. Oh, yeah. That's how I kind of got my my parents into D&D and we haven't run anything yet. They've been very excited to try and run something. But the second I told my mom that she could be like Legolas, she was like, Oh, I'm in. I'm all in. Like that was, that was, and they had no idea. They grew up a part of the generation that like was just very separate from D&D. And so they were just like, I don't know what's going on there. Um, And it took me a while to even get into it, but I would explain to her like what I did and she like didn't understand like my parents both didn't understand and then I was like we were sitting down watching Lord of the Rings specifically the last movie and I was like you know like how they spent this entire adventure doing all their little tiny missions and then they all meet at the end and everything's all right and good that's a campaign (laughs) in D&D and my mom was like what (laughs) and that's like even for fantasy people I feel like just being able to say here's this thing you know and love it's exactly like that, except you get to be yes, the main character. You get to live this out. How you get exciting. to have those experiences. Oh, or yeah. change the course or it's change amazing. the outcome. Exactly. I love that your mom's a fellow elf lover, though, too. She, oh, yeah. yeah. She's, she did say Legolas. She pronounced Legolas as Lego. Like, oh, I can't remember what she would say. But it was something that I would constantly just be like, <coughs> Legolas. <laughs> like, just say it. I'd be like, Legolas. it's not. Yeah, I'm like, what are you saying? That's not even, you read the original book. What are you doing? Yeah, like, you say it wrong in your head and it's just, it's it's hard to break that habit. Just a downhill from there, you know? I love that. There's there's actually a, a meme about that, right? Where uh, if you mispronounce words, that it's an honorable thing because that means you've only read that word. Which oh, means yeah. that you are a learned person, right? And so I, I, I latch onto that because there were certainly some fantasy words and D&D terms that I had wrong in my head until, uh, you know, and I, I meet people all the time who pronounce it melee and not mm. melee yep. just mm. because that's where their mind went when they first Mealy read like it in a, in a DMG or something. <laughs> yeah. like an apple. That's 
Yes. <laughs> I'm going to defeat you with melee combat, which is throwing Rotten soft apples, apples at, at people. And make a pie with these. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's my kind of combat. <laughs> That's right. Improvised weapons with, uh, oh, yeah. with food products. That's <laughs> the Bob's Burger one-shot. Yes. Food it works. <laughs> Uh, so for all these, you know, adapting of of things, you have to do a lot of uh, you know reskinning and and homebrewing of monsters and stuff. Uh, what's what's your what's your secret sauce there? How do how do you do that? Oh, it's all vibes, and I say that completely, like with my entire heart. Like I fully think about where I want the battle to go, and like if I've watched a movie that had a cool mechanic, like if I watch Venom and I like the idea that there's this thing that like clings to human beings and takes them over or something. And I know that that's okay with my players. Then I will fully just write a monster that is just, you walk into a room and there's absolutely nothing wrong. And then everyone make a perception check. Cool. Great. Look down. The one person who's able to notice look down and you see there's this like black inky substance on your friend's shoe that is like slowly crawling up them. And it's like stuff like that where I go completely from the feel. Like if I want it to be fun, then I'll take like, like in my Washington home game, it's like Seattle, Washington, by the way, not like Washington, Enchanted Forest, the middle of Washington, D.C. Which would be <laughs> yeah, kind of fun. They need it. I feel like yeah. they need it more than we do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, like in that one, because the entire party, it's like humans that live these like adult lives that have to enter this forest. And one of the players is an otter from inside the forest as like huge comic relief, which is so funny. So some of the combats I'm like, okay, this needs to be serious. Like you're battling something that is going to completely turn the tides of their entire government. Let's, you know, be serious. And then sometimes I'm like, there is a really fat pigeon in the woods that is spewing out magical energy (laughs) and it has a necklace on it's like wrapped around its neck that is fully just sending out beams of like different kinds of and that's like something that I will homebrew is like a gigantic pigeon with a necklace like a magic item and I'm like I'm gonna roll I just want to be able to roll and see what kind of damage I do and like go with the fun stuff and then go with whatever it do I really feel like doing a lot of I'm gonna punch you damage or do I feel like doing magic stuff being tricksy with magic. Um, oh, so when so are you saying that you kind of do it on that's the That's my fly question too. In, is this spontaneous? Or, oh, not like spontaneous like in the moment. It's more so spontaneous like I will think about what their next encounter is or if they're planning like I usually get the insight on where they're going next. I'm like, "Oh, where are you going by the way?" And then they'll tell me, "Oh, we want to go figure out what is like burning things out in the woods. Like there was burns and then also ice and also acid traces. We're not really sure. And like, I leave little, you know, leaflings here and there of like, here's information. Here's something that I want to run. Whether or not you pick it up will be up to you. Um, But then I don't fully flesh anything out until I know for sure that they're heading that way. So it's spontaneous in the fact that like, I'll just say something random like, oh, yeah, I don't know. There's a bunch of gold on the ground. And then if they decide to pick it up or do something, then I'm like, oh, it's a mimic? Like, like, just random, uh, random. I guess that's kind of spontaneous, but yeah, I usually decide a little bit before. But do you take um, a a monster stat block that's similar to that idea that you had and just run that? Or or do you do the attacks kind of um, 
you know, as you're saying, like, oh, I just, this is more magical. This is more physical. I'll just do what makes sense for their level. Yeah. Usually I will just look and see if there's a monster in the manual that fits uh, something similar. If I'm making like an elemental ogre, then I will use the ogre stat block and then just like look at what powers the elementals have and say, okay, well, it's going to have one of these powers. Um, Especially because, you know, ogres, they're going to be a lot more heavy handed. They're going to hit, they're going to want to hit. And so in that moment, I've decided this encounter is something where I want to do punchy, punchy damage. And then with the punchy, punchy is going to come cold damage or like fire damage or, you know, force damage from gale winds knocking you back. Um, But usually... I almost never run anything that's like just a basic, you know, here's a satyr or here's just an elemental or here's, you know, I try to module, like modulate how the monsters react because of the situation. So yeah, I just, yeah, I mutate the stat block based on like, if you're in the Feywild, I don't think things are going to be hitting you. They're going to try to charm you, you know, and that's something that I like lean into. That's super cool. It reminds me a lot of how um, Jeremy Crawford has described just reskinning monsters, right? Like, mm. you know, you, you have this, the monster that you want to use, the adversary that you want to use against your party. Find something close enough to it and then mm-hmm. just pick it apart and make it feel... It's all about how you describe it, too, right? So mm-hmm. the, the numbers are uh, important, of course, but they're, you can just pull them from different sources and it'll still generally make sense for, uh, for, for how you run it. It's all about how you tell that story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like we covered a lot of ground uh, on so many things, but I want to ask you one uh, thing, because we've talked a lot about how streamed games work and how at-home games work uh, and how 5th how Edition kind of helps with, with both of those. How do you see that interaction, right? Because like, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this who you know only play at home. They don't do any streamed games, right? Mm-hmm. And so the streaming games might be something that is the more attention grabbing because it is you know, front and center and people get to watch it. But, you know, there's, there's this, this push and pull, I think a little bit between those two groups. And how do you, how do you see D and D kind of supporting both of those going forward? Yeah. I mean, the good thing is I love, like I said, I love that 5e encourages people to tell stories with their friends and listen to the players and, you know, see how they're feeling and play into how they're feeling. I love that 5e says that and something amazing about, the book is that it never says only tell stories like this if you are streaming it on Twitch uh, <laughs> at 6 p.m. on Sunday <laughs> evenings. This is what rules for you and everyone else needs to run boring war games all day. You know, I love that it already supports telling stories, uh, immersive, just little pieces of fantasy, um, whether you're playing at home or whether you're playing on streams. I think that Stream games are something that everyone's kind of turning to because it's fun. The idea of like, you know, we're a group of people that love performing and love our game and we want to share that with people. That's such a great feeling. Like all humans have ever wanted to do is tell stories and share them. Um, But I think that there is so much merit to just playing at home. And it's so different and it's such a personable personable experience. Um, And I, it's, been hard for me to think about how like D can support the at-home game experience outside of just continuing to push checking with your players and you know telling stories that make everyone comfortable and like getting rid of the tables where you know people have to feel that like 
standard, I guess, for the type of player. Um, I think that D&D does a great job of including all different types of people. Um, but I think in the future, I think it's just like fully recognizing, okay, we got to be inclusive. We got to be diverse. We got to include everyone, but also make sure everyone feels comfortable um, because that is the, whether you're streaming on Twitch or you're playing at home, like that is the most important part. Yeah. 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 Uh, second to that, because there's, there's the corollary to being inclusive, which is not being exclusive, mm-hmm. right? And so you want to uh, bring everyone in, but realize that there's different styles. There's different mm-hmm. ways to play the game and playing at home is... Uh, just as fulfilling, if not more fulfilling than than playing on stream. But there are a certain type of personalities. Uh, there might be three of them here on this call who like <laughs> performing, like showing people what they do, right? And so I think that streaming element has kind of uh, you know fulfilled that for a lot of people in D anD D that they wouldn't have before, right? Because it's really great to have you know three or four people really enjoying your game, but it's even greater when that's 300 or 400 people who mm-hmm. are, who are you know, consuming the content that you're putting out there. And that just adds more, I mean, for me, it's a deadline type of thing. Like, it's, you know, it's easy somewhat for me to be, oh, with my three friends, uh, <laughs> I can't play tonight because I got different things going huh. on, yep. you know. But if you have an audience, then you're like, oh, this is, this is a show. The, the show, show must, must go, go on. on. And I feel like, yeah. I feel like that's why a lot of people choose streaming is because there is that element of, you know, we, we've got to do it for the social contract of my audience uh, going yeah. on there too. So that's really valid as well. Yeah, I think that there's this hard feeling when you're playing at home. Well, when you're playing on stream, there's this hard feeling of like, what if this DM is not for me? And like, I think that there are a lot of groups playing D&D on Twitch and have podcasts that are a group of friends that have been playing for years. And that's amazing because they already know the DM fits fits them and whatever. But there's also a whole side of like tabletop RPG, Twitter and social media spaces where they're casting and like a home game is not a casting, right? And so I think like there's this social contract with streaming that is like very meticulous. And if you don't show up on time or you like need to quit or you have a partner that doesn't play. And so this is like, you're trying to balance everything. It's like really tough. Um, and you feel like you can't break it, but I think that like something, even if, I don't know if it's in the books, I probably should go back and read like the first five pages of five E, but like, (laughs) I feel like if there's like a clause that's like, not every DM is for you and not every game, like you might love the DM, but the game isn't for you. Like Mm -hmm. fine, take the time to find your fit, right? Like that I think is like such a beautiful part of home games, which is why I still choose to run so many and play in so many is because I'm just like, I like that. And it's not even being like flaky to be like, I'm sorry. I'm just like a little bit more, I like more character-driven D&D. Some people are in D&D for the math, like fully for the math, which is wild to be in 5e for that but um (laughs) so like some people like that or some people just want to get together like in my home game I have a mixture of someone who really likes character stuff someone who really likes lore driven stuff someone who just is there to play and be with friends because it's the only time every two weeks that like he gets to see all of us together and 
that play group is like one of my favorite groups because I have to cater to all of them oh, you like and that? still be a good DM. Oh, I okay. love it. I love it. I think it's hard. It was hard at the beginning because I took not participating in stuff and like not role-playing as like, he hates my game. He hates me. I am not good at this. And therefore I will never DM again. And all it took was communication, which is something that you could do at at home games that you can't always do if you're streaming, um, if you've already committed and you're just going to start doing it. But it took communication. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean to communicate that to you. Like, this is just really like a hangout for me. Um, And a lot of times, like, role-playing is hard. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. That's something I can stand behind. Role-playing is very hard. And I do not want to pressure you into doing this in this game. Let's figure out some ways to make sure you feel comfortable and ways you can signal to me if you don't want to interact in this scene or you would rather leave it up to the other two, you know? Mm. And like, it became something that was, it's just been like one of my favorite games just because I could sit down and do that. But I think that like, having people know that you can do that. Like you can talk to your GM, your DM, and you can tell them like, this game might not be for me. Cause I want to, I don't like role-playing or like, I just want to roll dice or my friend is here and I'm here to hang out with my friend. Um, yeah. Or even I'm here. Cause I want to learn how to DM, like <laughs> just being straightforward. I like want that little clause like dropped into 5e, like just a little bit, just, yeah, I don't, I don't. DM is yours. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, I think there might be something akin to that in the Dungeon Master's Guide, but mm-hmm. in more recent books, the session zero has been a yes. something that has really been uh, strong and put down to paper. I think it's in Xanathar's, and then it's it's kind of been in every um, uh, adventure book since then, which is talk to your players, right? And like mm-hmm. that's such an important yeah. thing, and it's actually you know something I think I messed up with with one of my groups recently where I was trying to run uh, a Waterdeep game and I wanted to be city intrigue and all that stuff and I they knew that I thought going in but we didn't have that session zero to be like this game is not going to be going into dungeons and killing stuff and then taking the loot and coming back out and about a year or so in they're like hey when are we going to go into a dungeon and kill stuff and get some loot? And I was like, oh, yeah, this is not the campaign to be running for you. Oh, they were so patient. What the majority of you we're into. And so um, I think you're right. I think there there is that communication level. And I think having more of that be codified into the books is, mm-hmm. is kind of a goal going forward. I think that streaming oh, yeah. also helps with that as well. Because if you've only ever yeah. you know played in one game and you're like, this is really D&D, you get to see so many other options and like, yeah, like that's the kind of dungeon master I want to be or that that's the kind of game that I want to play in or, oh, that's role playing, like even just something like that. Um, so it's it can be a really great awareness tool as well for players. Oh yeah, we have so many more. I I feel like when I was first trying to get into D anD had no idea that there was more than one group. Yeah. Like oddly enough, I was like, there's only one group playing D anD D, and they're not open. The campaign is <laughs> they're in the middle of a campaign, and I cannot interrupt this. <laughs> and if I would have been like trying to get into D anD D now. There are so many groups where you can see and like, it's just like flavor testing a podcast or flavor yeah. testing a Twitch stream where you're like, I actually don't like that streamer because it's not that they're a bad person or anything's wrong with them. They're just like very slow paced for me or like how they describe things or like I have, maybe you have triggers that that DM like does not observe in their game and they're streaming it and you're just watching. So you get to like literally hit a back button be like, nope, I'm done. I, I don't want to, you know, that's not my type of DM. Yeah. I have a dog in the background that's my little Aww. puppy. That is, 
vying for attention. His puppy has been um, very patient. We, we, yeah, he's been he's been doing a good job. <laughs> he did so well. Well, you should go uh, give him some attention because I think uh, we've got lots of fun stuff here for this episode. Thank you so much, Lexi, for being here. I feel like you have a great streaming bit like about to happen right like so i love that we've been talking about this dichotomy between stream games and home games and you're like at that transition point where you're about to be putting a lot more uh uh, actual play content out there so how can people find out more about the strix about your bob's burger one shot all that stuff that we've we've been describing Absolutely. Um, so I am mostly on Twitter. Uh, I throw all of my content opinions, ideas on Twitter. Uh, so I am the black girl mage on Twitter. Um, you know, D and D just is so intricate. <laughs> it's just so interlaced into my life that I had to base my entire Twitter name <laughs> off of it. But <laughs> like, and magic, right? And magic and magic. Yeah. So I just throw everything there. Um, I am also on Twitch at the black girl mage. Um, so if you follow me there, usually I stream on Tuesdays where I'm prepping for D and D. Um, and I will talk about like my, my home game stuff. And I'll also be talking about like the Strix and like what I'm doing to prepare for that. And my players also know it that one. Oh, not, yeah. to, not they're like, <laughs> I, they don't show up to that one. Um, but I usually D and D prep on Tuesdays. And then I usually just like let the crowd pick what I do every other Thursday. Um, whether it's playing games, more D and D prep, uh, I usually get veered off very easily and end up talking about D and D no matter what. So if you like having conversations about D and D and the philosophies of monsters and other stuff, like just show up to the screen, plop a question in chat and I will literally stop everything I'm doing and answer. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Sweet. Can you tell where, uh, the Strix is going to be? Is that going to be on your, your Twitch channel? That will be on my Twitch channel. Um, Bob's Burgers, the Bob's Burgers one shot will be released on uh, Hutopia's Twitch channel. So it's twitch.tv slash Hutopia. Um, and it will also be releasing at the same time on my channel. Sweet. That's yeah. awesome. I love it. We didn't even get to go into your your coding experience uh, and oh, all gosh. that because that's such a whole other can of worms. So that means we got to get you back on uh, and, and, oh, yeah. and find out what happens uh, in, in both the Strix, Bob Burgers, and... The Bachelor D&D. Yeah. That and the future guided. Bachelor one. Let's, let's, oh, let's yes. We will, we will talk. There's, there's a future oh, there. My dreams are all coming true. And you know what, Greg? That's how we can get Aaron, your wife, to play. That's right. She would probably be into that. Yes. Yeah. And, and she will cut a bitch. Well. Yes. We will <laughs> have plenty of villains. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's the Blair of of the of of the facts of life uh, Blair situation. Blair was not so. the villain. <laughs> Oof. She was. Oof. She had. She we'll had table her quirks. that debate for another time. <laughs> next up, next time I'm on. We'll start with that. We'll start with the facts of life one that we're gonna she's do. No, Natalie. Awesome. But. All right. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lexi. This is good stuff. Yeah. Have a good rest of your day. You too. What an incredible creator. I can't wait to see all of the things that Lexi is putting together start to be shown to you all. It's going to be super fun. Yep. I just love her creative mind. And we will be seeing lots more of Lexi. I predict. You predict it. That means it's true because you are a prognosticator. Mark, Mark my words, people. They shall be marked. We shall write down these prophecies. Hunters mark my words. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, uh, sure. All right. Uh, uh, we can do that. 
Well, that is this episode of Dragon Talk. Very excited for everyone who has been paying attention to all the episodes we've been putting out this year in 2022. We got a lot more coming. Uh, But the best way to get people to to play some Dungeons & Dragons, if you're looking for it, is to point them to this podcast. Uh, So if you can, like and subscribe. uh, Show everybody that we... Like to put out every the the entire breadth of Dungeons and Dragons fandom out there. Uh, if you leave a review or give some uh, kudos to us on their platform of choice, it just gets more people to hear about what's going on in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, and hopefully convert more into players and DMs out there. So we're depending on you. Thank you. It's all dependent on you. Yeah, everything we're that like is the your quest. quest. Givers. Yeah. yeah. See, look at that. Mm-hmm. Now off you go. <laughs> Find that magic sword and there get us some audience members. Um, they can follow along everything that's going on with Dungeons and Dragons by going to DungeonsDragons.com and signing up for a newsletter, subscribing to this here podcast called The Dragon Talks, or you can just follow them on the social. I, Dungeons and Dragons is on Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter and Instagram. You can like the Facebook page, get all the latest information and announcements that we will be streaming out there very soon in 2022 about upcoming fun stuff. And if you want to just pay attention to me and Shelly, uh, you can follow me at Greg Tito on Twitter Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. I do a Star Trek rewatch podcast called Reengage. It's follow along there at Reengage TNG on Twitter. Uh, Shelly, how can people find out about what you're doing? Easy. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Shelly Moo. Moo. Gosh, you got such a quicker outro I than I have. Damn I do. I mean, it's just not, not, no, but there is no other Shelly Moos out there like there was. Greg Tito's. That's true. That's true. So. On the Instagram, I got to find that person. That's another yeah. quest I want to give out to people. <laughs> find the Greg Tito and make him give up his handle. Drunky Tushes is on a quest uh, to find yeah. out all of the doppelgangers that are set to take over the government of Waterdeep from Laryl Silverhands. You're currently still in a battle with said doppelgangers underneath a Grocery run by halflings or doppelgangers, as the case may be, mm-hmm. in the sea ward of Waterdeep. There's been a lot of death and destruction in this basement, uh, but your brother Daryl has run up the ladder and is trying to get you to also come up the ladder so that you can trap the two, or sorry, the one remaining doppelganger who Samson, your fellow Harper, is battling. And Daryl uh, says he has a scroll of sending. I said message uh, during last week's, but it's actually a scroll of sending. So he can send a message, 25 words out to Laryl Silverhand, which he's going to do right now. And you see him kind of muttering. Uh, you hear him muttering, trying to figure out what exactly he's going to say in those 25 words. Just come uh, on, Daryl. So, yeah, you're in the middle of it. You're at the bottom of the ladder. I think you've gone up a step. Your hands are still mm, manacled. Are they? Or did you break free of those? I honestly can't remember. I, I think you're kind I of. I broke f- free. I thought I broke free because then I like hit somebody. I think I hit you the cast firebolt. I said you could cast a firebolt with uh, with them still fettered. So you're still kind of a little bit hamstrung. Am um, I? And you hear uh, Daryl up, ab- up above, and he's like, uh, 
He's unrolling the scroll and he says, uh, some magic words. And then, Laryl, Silverhand, we are trapped fighting doppelgangers. They have infiltrated the guard. Send Harpers to the garrulous grocer. ASAP. He says, ASAP. What's, what does ASAP mean? Oh no, is this going to be part of the sending? It's like when your phone, when you're doing a, a voice text and it keeps going. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it's exactly like that. Okay, so you're <laughs> at the bottom of the ladder. Uh, Samson just got hit. He's got, he's got multiple wounds, uh, yeah. and he's not looking so good, despite the amount of uh, healing potions that you have given him. What do you do? Well, I only gave him one. Uh, there's only one doppelganger fighting There's him, one right? doppelganger, but it, he, I'm gonna he, go, he has not been wounded yet. Look over here. Woohoo! And is it my turn? Yeah, we'll say it's your turn. Then I am going to. I don't really have any of my cool spells. Oh yeah, I do. Oh, why don't we do a hail of thorns? Hail of thorns. Bonus action as a bonus action, okay? And then why don't we just go ahead and throw some burning hands? Why haven't I done this one yet? You're gonna oh. burning hands your oh. your friend. I'm sorry. I already have used up all of those. Yeah, I think you uh, have. We're, we're only on our cantrips. Our cantrips. Okay. Um, no, I was luring him away from Samson. So yes. now I'm just going to do an acid splash. Woohoo! Look at me! Woohoo! Uh, all right, he fails his save. Does he? Mm-hmm. Okay, then I'm going to do, oh yeah, 11 points of damage. Ooh, all right, great. Uh, almost you, max um, damage. You say "yoo-hoo," and then pff, as soon as he looks at you, in your direction, you fling uh, some acid in its in his face, uh, and it is it, it, again the burning and uh, screaming in an almost alien sounding way, uh, and its attention seems to be on you now. Okay, would it be pot? Because I was just standing on the stairs when I did that. Yeah, the ladder so going up. Can my move be that I like make a flying cat pouncy jump and just land on him? Again, that's an attack. Uh, so well, even if I don't like, attack. you can move to be in front of him, but you won't be able to to get on him. Okay, I'm gonna pretend I'm like 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 I'm a guard in a basketball game, and I'm just gonna jump in front of him and still do the ha ha. Look at me, look at me. <laughs> All right, the whole so you time. made it, like you made Samson it move, move Samson. So you're trying to get Samson up the thing, okay? And then he yes. takes his uh, uh, move, and he does in fact disengage and goes up the ladder. And he's like, I don't, I don't feel good about this. Are you gonna be all right down there? Uh, yeah. It's fine. Okay. Uh, so Samson and Daryl are now up at the top of the ladder. You could send Daryl down now that he sent his message. Uh, Daryl says, wait, hold on. Should we just close the door and let you go down there? Are you kidding me? Yes. Okay. We'll see. Uh, the doppelganger is going to be up next and attack Ooh. you. Ooh. We'll see if you're all right. You haven't been hit yet, right? Oh, have yeah. You? I got a little bit of damage. How much, da- how much uh, HP do you have left? It's... Do I have to tell you? Yes. 43? 43? All right. Excited to do some damage to you next turn. Let's see what happens. 